Hello, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another podcast. Uh, it's been a while. I've been able to do some multi-claims and whatnot. So I haven't had to do a whole lot of work. And um, been enjoying the season so far. Haven't really paid too much attention to it, to be completely honest. Um, both my players are doing all right, and both my teams are doing you know, all right. So there's nothing really to look forward to other than the future. And uh, so, yeah, um, for this week, I think uh, we'll just continue on with the sort of the GM guide, although it's been such a long time that I don't like I don't fully remember exactly everything I said. I, I get the gist. Um, I believe last time we talked about philosophy and like general makeup of a team, as well as maybe like t- dabbled with like kind of like the players that you should like the users you should go out for the type of players and users and whatnot um sort of like a a macro level i guess um and then i think this time we'll go a little bit more micro and and i'll sort of explain at least from my perspective um specific player builds that i look like that i look for um, you know, obviously, I think any GM who wins a ring, they'll say that the team they won it with was special. I think the team that that won it with Brooklyn, uh, with me, was just particularly special <laughs> because I think all the pieces just kind of worked, even though it wasn't perfect. Um, God, really. Uh, I have to charge my headset like every three minutes. One second. Anyway, um, I, you know, you had kind of a, a weird group of individuals that you wouldn't expect would be winning rings, but, you know, work together to build something special. And that is the case for most teams that win a ring, other than maybe maybe sometimes you're like, oh, of course that user won a ring. They're pretty good at winning rings. But I felt even even if we were Brooklyn, we were like the outcast. And I guess I'll go over roughly kind of how I made that team work. Um. So first we had Colton Cooper, who will probably not be remembered outside of Brooklyn fans, despite the fact that I, re- I really enjoyed what he brought to the table. He had a very strange build um, early on in his career, and I remember multiple GMs telling me that his build was trash. But I didn't think it was trash in the sense that it like it couldn't be fixed and the user was incredibly willing to work with me to make the build work because obviously you want your player to do good and you you want your team to do good generally speaking um so most of the time users are willing to work with their gms there's there's the extent of how much um again kind of related to last time although i'm not completely sure if i said this but you want to have users willing to work with you more often more willing to work with you than not um the less selfish they can be the better 
<coughs> for me, uh, my philosophy for building players has always been year one, year two, be selfish. Year three, year four, be selfless. Um, year five, depending on your situation, be either selfish or selfless. Um, I think way back in the day, uh, my philosophy was more selfish because you had more TPE back in the system. Uh, this was back when it was everything was super inflated and whatnot. Um, I think nowadays you can be, I think maybe year three, four, and five be selfless. Um, year six, year seven, year eight be selfish. And what I mean by that is the first two seasons, build for yourself, build for your build. Um, and then year three, year four, you know, build with the team, solely with the team. Do not build for yourself whatsoever. Uh, and then year, and then year five, depending on your situation. And then year six, year seven, year eight. That's when you can start winning some awards. Build more selfishly. But it's it's a very generic philosophy, and it's not to be followed like just straight up followed exactly. It's a very sort of rough philosophy. It's kind of just to give you an idea of the the gist of how you should build your player. Um, and I think Cooper did that perfectly. Um, I will say, though, I guess for the first couple seasons, but prior to even getting him, he built very selfishly in the sense that he was building solely for his build of being just an absurd passer. He went 99 handling and like 97 passing or flip-flopped. Um, numbers that I probably would never recommend anyone go unless it's their specific build, right? Um, so I saw, oh wow, this guy can pass really good, better than other passers, even though the TP investment isn't very efficient. And he had good stealing numbers already, I believe. And so I'm like, this is the perfect guard. So we're going to, the first number one thing, the perfect guard, in my opinion, if we're following kind of this big man meta score, dude, you want to have a point guard that can pass it, obviously, but also play a good point D, um, which is steal a ball. Intercept the pass before they can even initiate a play. Um, general, generally speaking, the point guard starts with the ball in the sim engine. If you're a shooting guard, you ch chances are you won't get the ball to start off with. Not nearly as I won't, I won't say never, but not nearly as much as a point guard or any other position for that matter. Um, the point guard will always have the ball the most, which is why that you see all the assist records from point guards not that anyone has a problem with that or anything it just makes sense and so you want to you want your point guard to be able to be really good at passing and be really good at stealing blocking isn't all too important because it implies depending on your defense that you run it implies that the point guard on the other team is shooting and generally speaking if the if your philosophy of point guard is it's usually it's the it's a standard of the league right so generally speaking the other point guard isn't an efficient score like they're because they're a passer and stealer like that's where their tp is invested so i 
I think people always like to invest in blocking as a point guard. I don't necessarily agree that you need more than like 70 because obviously having defense is important. And that's something that I brought up last time. You need to have your perimeter and post deep up no matter what your position is. And the higher your stocks, the better. But I think putting more than 70 blocking, um, unless you just like your year eight or something, right? And you have nothing else to put in. It's not a priority um, because I I think generally in the sim engine the blocks are just for inside shots. I don't know if three point shots are blocked to the same degree, but it feels like based on what I've seen from play by play, it's less. But I could be wrong. In which then this this kind of whole conversation is not completely neglected, but a little bit. And then, uh, do you want to be good at three points? So three pointing is three pointers are really weird in the sim engine. Whereas you could be really ass at shooting threes, but you score more. Like, and it's not because of you shooting threes. Um, we did some experimenting with Jane Kabarkba in the SBDL, where I had I turned on like seven, uh, three pointer at seventy. And like the percentage was still like super low, 30s. But I averaged like like 10 more points. Maybe not 10. Maybe it was like six or something. But and it didn't come from threes. It came from inside shots. Um, just like in real life, shooting threes opens up the inside, makes the defense space out or whatever. Um, at least that's how it would work in real life. I don't know how the sim engine works. I, it, it, it feels like that's too realistic for the sim engine to be capable of achieving, but somehow it works that way. So I don't really know. Um, anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. Shooting threes is really good. Even if you aren't the, even if you aren't shooting like super high percentage, shooting it well enough, and dishing it and having low turnovers, low turnovers is very important. Steals, excellent. Shooting guard is kind of like, in my opinion, the most irrelevant position. I'm, I think you can go without a shooting guard. Like, and I think it it really changes throughout the seasons, like. Sometimes it feels like small forwards are the useless position, and then sometimes it's the shooting guards. And I think in recent history, I think shooting guards have kind of become crap. You don't need the... To me, a shooting guard is a worse point guard. Um, because you don't... like. It's not bad to have a good shooting guard, and I think our shooting guard, I forgot his name, to be honest. I want to say it's Sav Willie, but I know it's, I don't think it is. I think that was, it was Influence Player, I forget the name. But he was an active 500 TP-ish player who scored. Um, and he, but he didn't completely score. And he had just good enough defense to be alright. Um, I think it's hard to gauge. Gauge? 
that uh, the importance of a shooting guard. Um, but I think shooting guards can be filled in with suboptimal builds. But but if their build is completely bad, then it is absolutely like the worst position to have it in. Um, I think shooting guards come with the luxury that your build can be way more flexible in what you can do. But the downside being is if it doesn't work at all, if your build is just utter garbage, it completely ruins your team. I also think shooting guards can take the ball away too much from potentially the people who really want to score and who are better at it. Um, and if you don't, I, you need to have de some form of defense when it comes to shooting guard. Um, and in the case of the Brooklyn Bullets, it was the, the lowest TP guy on the team. So the suboptimal build didn't hurt us as much. If there was TPE invested in the build, it wouldn't have been suboptimal. But guys like Shabazz and Blade Thorn have obviously excelled at a shooting guard for, uh, position, but I don't believe they're, uh, at least for Blade, his ring didn't come with him at the shooting guard position. I think shooting guard positions are kind of these sort of lower TPE builds. So I would look, if you're building a roster, you have your point guard that passes well and steals and shoots threes. Can be like the third TPE guy on the team, right? Maybe even the second. Um, but the shooting guard, try, I would look for lower TPE builds. Don't have it be your number one for sure. Um, unless you're absolutely confident that that build is like the best build in the league. Which it can, it can happen. And it has in prior past. Um, small forward is really interesting because it's like it's overlooked, but I think it's the most important position because it connects the back court and the front court. Um, for us, we had Paul Morphy, who just passed it and played defense, and that's it. And shot threes. So it's kind of like a point guard in that regard, where, because you know you have to you have to consider the point guards passing it. If 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 they if the let's say the center is the only person in the team, like you funnel that to the the center, but you have to funnel it. You know, the point guard can't always just pass it to the center. That's increases steals. If you want your point guard to have less steals, you need to have you know somebody else on the team who has good passing because then they pass it to that person, that person passes it. Especially if your point guard is the three-point guy, he'll tend to stay out. So we had Paul Morphy there, small forward. Um, great passer, great whatever, right? Um, and it worked well. And I think Paul Morphy, is, I mean, he's still playing. He's still doing good. You know, you look at his stats, you're not super impressed, but it's not. he's a team player more so than a game winner uh power forward we had living he was he's your prototypical big man i i shouldn't have to really explain what they need to be good at they need to be good at scoring and they need to have stocks i mean they, they just need to they need to be your higher tp guy for sure um having a big man that just scores and no stocks is bad having a big man that could only do stocks um, obviously, it's, you, you're not going to score with him. So, 
Um, but your other big man should be that kind of person, that the balance. You can either have kind of two balanced scoring builds, or you can have one guy be specialized in scoring, one guy be specialized in defense. That's what we did with Malik Washington and Livin, and it worked out great. Um, we're running over a little bit of time, so I'm going to just finish up here and say that's kind of how the Brooklyn Bullets did it. And um, whenever I do a podcast next, we'll get into uh, just like attributes more specifically. Um, although I don't know, we haven't. I don't think we have. We uh, we have done trades. So we talked about trades. We'll get into something. We'll finish it up. It shouldn't. I don't think I can do more than uh, one more episode of GM guides, just because there's. It's it's both a complex job and a very easy job. And if I explain the big picture, hopefully that's enough. <laughs> anyway, see you guys uh, whenever.